This whole process of recovery revolves around one principle, the belief of an individual that they are capable of change. If you don't believe you can change, you won't. If you don't believe you are loved, then there's no amount of love that will change that opinion. And if you don't think you can handle the pain that comes with the growth that happens in real recovery, then you will quit at the first pinprick of emotional discomfort. You gotta want the change. You gotta feed the warrior within. You gotta fight for your faith and you gotta lay down your pride for the sake of your loved ones. And when adversity comes after you or your spouse or your children, you gotta be dangerous. You gotta be the kind of person that your enemy across the battlefield looks at and knows that they don't stand a chance because they have already lost. See, recovery, it's a place for failures, but it's not a place for quitters. It doesn't matter how many times you fail, as long as you acknowledge it and learn from it and move forward. We are triers, we are doers, and we are warriors who always get back up. I used to beg God, saying, please don't quit on me. Until one day God turned it around on me and said, I've never quit on you. Don't you quit on yourself. My friends, this is the time, now, is the moment. Today is the day. Don't wait. Don't give it a second thought. You go now and repeat after me. I'm not alone. I am worthy of love and respect. I will never give up. I can change and I have the tools and the drive to win and I will win. We are in this together and we are here to help you in your journey of recovering you. Welcome back to season four, 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 four. This is a big deal. This is a big deal being back uh, for another season. Not only because, you know, like it's another season and there's so much to learn and so much to talk about, but it's also a big deal because the amount of emotional and like mental effort that it took to get to this point i i i just i don't know i really kind of felt like giving up like oh maybe maybe uh my discouragement and my depression and my anxiety over it and my 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 everything is just a sign that maybe it just needs to be done and uh but but still it, it nagged in the back of my mind and so i was like you know what i need to do i need to find a consistent reliable faithful amazing co-host that is going to bring an element to the show on a regular basis that brings even more people in because yeah i do okay i, I do okay but but you i mean oh, you you're amazing and so without further ado with with yeah without further ado <laughs> words are hard Meaning be done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I introduce uh, my wife, my companion, the president of the United Marriage that we have, <laughs> uh, my best friend, and the wisest, most patient, and awesome person. I know. I know you're making that face of like too many compliments. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Hi. <laughs> so. I, I figured 
just as kind of a, a little bit of a start, and I'm, I know I'm kind of throwing this at you out of left field. Yeah, big eyes. Um, I'm throwing this at you a little bit spontaneous, but I figured people would want to know just a little bit of, of our backgrounds. I've talked so much about what kind of gave me my, my credentials in recovery, what kind of gave me the, uh, the authority to talk about these things through my experience and everything. But you bring something different to the table, which I think is really important for people to acknowledge. And that is the spouse of someone who has not, not only the spouse of someone who's gone through recovery, but someone who's had to go through their, their own recovery through recovery of betrayal trauma and having to deal with your own demons and how you dealt with that. And then beyond even that, you've also become like a confidant for a lot of people that know that you are a safe place to turn to in for discussion and vulnerability and honesty and not being judged and just not feeling alone when their spouse has gone to a place that has done a lot of damage. So um, I, I thought maybe you could just talk a little bit about that journey, that process of um, when your world kind of shattered and what you had to do in order to get to a place where we could hold hands again and date. Um, okay. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. Go. Well, I mean, you, you told half of it, so I mean, we could wrap up there and my introduction is complete. You just want to call it good? <laughs> um, <laughs> so the night my world exploded, I guess in a way I exploded the night not really you. I had known about your Cameron's um, pornography issues for years. And I had been the supportive, uh, what I thought was supportive cheerleader. You can do it. You can move past this for years. Hmm. Um, and one night I was praying and Cameron was in with the baby and I felt the undeniable uh, prompting to draw a line um, of where is it going to stop for you? Uh, and so I was like, oh, I have never done that, Heavenly Father. Anytime I've thought about it, it was just, it was too hard. And I, I got too scared. Uh, I was very scared of losing my husband and the love he did give me, even though we had a lot of hard times, there were still good times. And I was scared of losing those. I was scared of being on my own. I am an introvert, so I don't like doing outgoing things. And Cameron is my outgoing person. Those things <laughs> I don't like doing, he does. <laughs> um, and so I didn't want to lose that, any of those things. And so I had never drawn that line. And so that night I did. And that night he came into the room and he told me some things that had been happening. And I could not deny that it had crossed that line that I had just barely minutes to less than an hour before drawn and said, okay, we're not, pa I'm not letting it pass this. And it did. And so I said, you can't stay here anymore. And I asked him to leave. Scariest thing of my life. <laughs> um, he slept downstairs that night and thus started 
my shattering. Um, I'm sure you have talked about you after that. Um, a little bit. Yeah. Only three seasons worth of it. <laughs> so it's my turn. <laughs> we need three more seasons of your journey. Oh, Go. <laughs> uh, well, um, but that night I kind of, well, I kind of just went back to sleep that night. Um, I, I was tired. I had a baby, like months old baby. Weeks. Weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was, I was one tired mom and it was the next day that I really had a hard time. I called my dad. I was like, I told this, told him this, how do I make it happen? Because I I'm feeling myself already wanting to take it back because I didn't, didn't want to lose Cameron. I didn't want to lose you. Um, and as I stuck to it, my, my, everything that I had been so carefully holding together and keep telling myself, oh, that's fine. It's fine. Hey, just like, um, in Encanto, it's, mm. it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's not fine. Um, and very quickly after that, not only did, uh, my dad help me say, okay, what do you need? from him to have him come home and look at it more as from that perspective, instead of I'm making you leave, it's, this is what I want. So you can come home because I want you to come home. And so that really kind of started off. And then I fell apart and basically went numb for about three, four months of just absolutely feeling nothing. Yeah. Um, I couldn't have him in the same room. It hurt and I didn't want to cry. So we went months where he'd stop by to help with the kids and you would just go in a different it. room. I'd go in a different room. And when he was done, um, I, well, most of the time I would go and hold my baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, as time went on, uh, we moved and he came back into the house, but it was an in-home separation for a little over a year, yeah, year and a half. And in some ways that was harder. Because, you know, when I have my own home, there are clear boundaries. It's one of my favorite things now. Um, clear boundaries that it's like, well, I don't want to be in the same room as you. It's easy to see. I, I, you can't stay in the house. That's easy to delineate where the house is. It was, it was easier to say, oh, just stay outside of my big house bubble. <laughs> when, yeah. he, when he's in the house, of course, paths are going to cross and... Uh, so I had to work on boundaries a lot and figure out what and why I needed certain boundaries. Well, and like, like for instance, um, I was actually telling someone about this the other day. They, they told me, um, cause, cause I was telling them I, after I moved the bed into the master bedroom in that Las Vegas house, I never stepped foot in there again until we moved out of that house. And that was the only time I ever crossed the threshold of that door. you like, you you set a very firm line of like, you're not welcome in my room. And you know, that, that might come off a, a little bit harsh, but you had to create this atmosphere of safety where you knew that if you were overwhelmed, if you were triggered, if you were upset, if you just, you needed a place to process things, you needed a place that had no evidence of me in that area so that you could ground yourself and center yourself around something that was familiar and safe and not triggering. 
And well, and even so much, it wasn't uh, nothing that reminded me of you because I recall that first week you were, well, the first few weeks at least, you were there without me and you were unpacking stuff. Yeah. And so you stayed in the room. I remember. Yeah. Because you were hoping things would go back to normal, at least because, <laughs> at least close, because we were, what would we do? Maybe if I'm here, she won't notice. <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> well, if my stuff's already here, maybe she won't kick me out again. Mm, yeah. And no, I did. Um, before I even got there, I said, no, this room is going to be my room. We're not, we're not at a point where we're together again. I really, I, I was very specific about do not cross the doorway. I needed to be able to close the door. I needed to feel that I could close the door and not be questioned about it and have that space where I didn't have to be seen. I, when I cry, well, when I cry, I don't like to be seen. (laughs) Um, But like when I'm processing anything, I, I need space where I'm not being I don't feel like I'm being judged. I don't think if I would have started crying down at the downstairs table, I think Cameron would have been like, I understand why she's crying. It's because of me. <laughs> but I would still feel seen and what's wrong. What can I fix? What can I do? And when I went to my room, it was my space. And I didn't have to explain what I was doing in there, why I was in there, um, how I was doing. I was, it was separate. So we lived a year in Las Vegas where Mm -hmm. the entire time we were separated in home and then we moved to Arizona and there wasn't another room in our rental home in Arizona (laughs) for Cameron to be. Um, and it was one of the hardest things for me to figure out. I was like, I, I, I still need that space. Yeah. So in the master bedroom was luckily huge. We ended up splitting it in half, like putting up our own, like, well, I, making I put two a room, wall. Yeah, making two rooms out of one room. Yeah. Um, and it was hard in different ways. Um, and and all this all this time, you were also doing therapy, right? Oh, yeah. So about two or three three months in, um, the group Cameron was going to the Menomoroni group uh-huh. um, mentioned that there was a women's group that was free because it was paid for by the funds of the men that went to men in Moroni, um, which I thought was cool because I totally wouldn't have gone otherwise because I, we were poor and I was like, we're already spending so much money on getting him better. I'm fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> um, so I went to one and then I went to another and I realized that I needed one-on-one help. Um, I needed lots of help. Was there any was there any shame or like discouragement involved with those with that realization? Uh, no, for me it was more of like a relief. Um, something was broken, and that gave me actions I can fix it. If it's just there's nothing wrong, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. There's nothing to fix when you're fine. It was more you're lost in the woods. And you're like, I'm fine. The woods are pretty. And look at these beautiful flowers. And I'm fine. And I can, I'm doing this. I'm moving forward. I'm progressing, like taking care of my kids. They're happy. They go to school. Uh, well, one of them was going to school at the time, but it was, it was fine. Like I didn't see problems with me. It was 
if we if Cameron could get fixed <laughs> better <laughs> that that was the only thing that was wrong um and so then wandering around this forest of I'm fine and then realizing I'm lost and it's getting dark and there's nowhere to go having a path and a light to fix on that says this this is a way to go this is this is productivity of a beneficial sort it's not just walking forward it's walking towards something and i loved my therapist she was amazing and she's very honest with me and the group was very honest with me it's what taught me that i was not taking care of myself and I learned that self-care went beyond um, chocolates and bubble baths <laughs> and taking naps. Like it, 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 it is more than that. And it doesn't mean that it can't be those, but there's, there's more intention behind true self-care that um, I think people don't see. What, what did yours have to be? Like what was specific my, to you? My beginning self-care was eat breakfast take a walk outside each day for at least five minutes, because that's something I could do with my kids. Yeah. My boundaries very much included my kids because they were young. Um, take a nap and write a letter to God each night. Wasn't as good at that one because I, with a baby, I was having a hard time writing each day. So I did change it eventually to um, a gratitude journal where I, I didn't write out this whole long thing. I wrote three words, three things I was thankful for. And I always made sure I included one person, um, that had helped me in my day. Um, that one really helped. It changed my view. And cause then I started looking for things I was grateful for throughout my day. Cause I knew I'd have to write something down at the end of the day. Yeah. So I looked for it. Um, but mine were very basic because our group actually issued a challenge for self-care and, when we were reporting our self-care, I realized I had done none of mine and that I was not taking care of myself. And we had to stop the entire group. And they all rallied around me to help me figure out not only what self-care was, but what it meant for me. I, th I think what's awesome that you just said right there is that they, in, instead of feeling ganged up on or like, all right, let's put you in the spotlight. It's time for you to, uh, it's time to for everyone else to break down your walls, they rallied around you to support you and to give you what you like. I, I just, I think that's awesome. And I think that's something that a lot of people feel like by going to therapy, they're going to be forced to do things they are, that they're not ready to do. And they're going to be uh, looked at and they're going to be judged and they're going to be uncomfortable when really if done right, you are, uh, you feel safe and you know, you're able to move forward in that process of recovery. So yeah, I, I love, I just, I like the fact that you said that they rallied around you and helped you with that process of figuring out what your self-care needed to be. Sorry, just <laughs> totally distracted from the thought. So when I started therapy, I started working on myself. Uh, I found out that the words to what I was going through was not only did I, was I suffering, ugh, suffering <laughs> from betrayal trauma, I was also suffering from PTSD. Um, not something I really would have equated to me I, as, as a 
a stay-at-home mom of three kids in the middle of Utah. Um, <laughs> like, not really what I was expecting um, when she explained it to me and what PTSD looked like in a sense of betrayal trauma. It made sense. And I was like, oh, yes, I definitely know I'm, I've got a lot of that going on. So um, knowing those and knowing that I was dealing with a husband who was working on recovering from an addiction, um, I was able to start learning tools not only to help me in my personal life, but to kind of re rebuild the foundation for a healthy relationship. Because at that time, when I first started going, Cameron and I didn't have a relationship. Uh, I was scared of losing him, but we did not have a relationship. At the point when uh, my world shattered, um, at that point, I was telling him, uh, sure, you can go teach dance. And in my mind, it was, it won't make a difference if you're here or not. And sure, you can go play basketball. My life will not be different if you're here or not. And that's basically how I was living. It was, I'm doing this on my own. If you show up, kids will probably get to bed five minutes faster. Um, he was, but Cameron, you were so lost in your addiction. I mean, I could tell when you were trying to help, like, and I always very firmly believe that you were a good dad. You showed up. And at times I felt like I made sure you showed up and that might just be me trying to say I had a hand in this, but, um, in that frame of my life, we didn't have a relationship. We were living in the same house. Well, and when I was showing up as as a husband, um, I, I think I was showing up in order to get that pat on the back, in order to get that that high five and, and good job from you. And like and and you know, because I, I definitely was doing it with uh, ulterior motives. Uh, I I always wanted something out of my actions. Um, I, you know, I was one of those guys who was like, "Look at me washing dishes. Don't you love me more?" Now, now can we be intimate because I did a favor? Look, I took you out on a date and bought you flowers. Now can we be intimate? Like, like everything was so motivated by intimacy or by, um, you know, getting my way or having leverage in the relationship that, I, I mean, it was all being done for the wrong reasons. So. Well, and I knew, I mean, you weren't, you never tried to hide why you were doing things. And even if you did try to be subtle about it and be like, oh, look how sweet I am. It always came out within half a day of why you did it and you made it, then you made it more obvious why you, you're like, we've done all these things together. We've been, we've been snuggling. We went on a date. I did a great date. Like why, why can't we be I closer? did everything you asked. Why won't you do what I asked? Yes. And so it, it always felt hollow. It felt empty. It was, I checked all these boxes. So now I should get what I want. Um, so there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of learning during that first year for me, it was all, I was focused on me and I would check in with Cameron and be like, okay, so how are you doing? How's, how's your recovery going? What have you been doing? That was the extent of my emotional willingness to connect emotionally with you. Oh, that yeah. was, that was it. I, I didn't say, I didn't 
try for more. I didn't want more. Well, and and again, with boundaries, you also told me like when, when I would come over and because we were both told like there, there needs to be some sort of information or progress. There needs to be, you know, some keeping in touch. And so, like you said, um, that, that check-in was like a five minute check-in. It wasn't allowed to go long. And in that there was no, uh, there was no talking about feelings. There was no talking about us. There was no talking about progress uh, in in the sense of like where where are we at? When do I get to move back into the bedroom? When when you do we tried. get? A, oh, I, oh yeah, I tried. Yeah, because you know I was I was still learning too, and so yes, my motivations definitely came out, and I desperately wanted to get back into your good graces. Um, I desperately wanted our relationship back, um, and I, I wanted things to be better. So when, when there was those conversations, it, it was, it was really hard to not want to dive into like, okay, look how good I'm doing. Now can we talk about us? And you would just get up and you'd be like, thank you for the update. And you get up and walk away. And I, I had to respect that because <laughs> that not, not only was my therapist <laughs> telling me that, but your therapist is telling you what to do. And ultimately it, it was for the best. For, for any of those out there that are going through recovery and maybe like they're feeling these kind of walls put up in their relationship, just be patient. Allow that space and time, allow them to work through things and allow that process to take place because it, it really was, looking back, this was the best thing that could have been happening. And because the more that I poked, prodded and pushed, the further away you got. Well, it was because... I had shattered. I was cut and hurt and bleeding all over. And so pushing is like pushing on open wounds that weren't healing and asking, and now how are you doing? It was, I can't handle that. I can't, I can't tell you how I'm doing. It hurts. That's like, you ask, the only thing that comes to my brain is I hurt. And so withdrawing from that hurt because it was too much, I'd feel numb. So, it, and of course that's never a fun answer to hear. I don't feel anything. Uh, cause then you're like, oh, well you should be feeling something. And it's like, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And for the first year, year and a half, even on our check-ins where we'd sit and talk about what he was learning and stuff, I never shared about me. Nope. I, I didn't want to, I didn't, and I didn't felt I need to. I was completely in the dark on your, on your life. When you would share anything about what, uh, your therapist had shared with you, it was, purely what they shared with you, not how you took it, not how you were going to apply it, not how it was like, it was information. Yeah. Purely informational. And I was just like, okay. So yeah, that, that's how it was for quite a while. Well, I learned maybe me, this is off topic. Um, it's a podcast. There is no off topic. <laughs> it, it, we haven't even gotten to the topic. Yet. I know. <laughs> um, no, I learned that as a, when a mind suffers from trauma, it protects itself. And in ways it kind of buries what it can't handle. And as you heal, well, so it buries. And so if you can't handle anything, that's basically why you're feeling numb. And then as you learn to heal, and for me, as I started going to therapy and talking about things and learning about boundaries and how to um, make my life healthier, um, things started bubbling up. And it's one thing I really remember my therapist talking about was as your body recognizes what you can handle, it lets some of that up. Some of the anger bubbles up and then you deal with it. Some of the um, hmm. fear bubbles up 
and you handle it because your brain and your, your brain's incredible and it's smart and it goes, okay, we're, we're going to a point where you can handle more. And so it's, it's kind of like when you, you have a, a wound that needs the bandage change. And sometimes that scab gets ripped and like the, the nastiness and the pus comes out. You're like, ew, <sighs> that was still in me. And you're like, well, now I'm glad it's out. But now my, my wound hurts all over again. And it's like, well, yes. However, it's now healthier and it's getting better. And if you had just left it there, it would. So I, I, I do want to get to our topic a little bit today. Okay. So can I just fast track? Yes. Yeah. Okay. F finish that thought. So we moved to Arizona, which I said a while ago and then had to backtrack because yeah. I forgot all the therapy stuff. So we moved to. <laughs> there was so much still to go. So we moved to Arizona. At that point, we were closing in on two years being separated. And I was like, okay, I am feeling like we can be friends. And Karen was like, what? <laughs> I thought we were working towards being together, being in the same room, like being back to being married, a married couple. And I was like, we can be friends. You need to learn how to be my friend as a person in recovery and a person moving forward from what you've learned. Because Again, recovery hindsight is 2020. Looking back, this was the best way to go about things. And, and I actually, I love, I, I love being able to tell people like when, when I go through our recovery story, um, as, as a couple, I love the looks on people's faces when I go, uh, it, it took us years just to be friends. And, and she said, we're going to go through the whole process as though our marriage, like as though we never knew each other because <laughs> we were getting to know each other for like the new versions of ourselves for the first time. You sure didn't like it at the time. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> but that, that's why I'm saying like high recovery hindsight really is 2020. Because looking back, I'm like, it was it was so cool to become your friend, like your your real friend and to not have the ulterior motive of like, oh, uh, like I'm going to be her friend because I like her and because if I act this way, I'll get what I want. The manipulation was taken out of the equation. Well, and I had been learning to recognize the manipulations you would use. Yeah. And so even if it did creep in, creeping in at a friend level is easier to spot and deal with. I was so subtle though. Uh, <laughs> I was so, I was so sneaky with my manipulation. So, so not. <laughs> um, yeah. And I gotta say, I don't know if this is a therapist tool because my therapist did not tell me about starting as a friend. This was purely me and it was what I wanted. I was like looking back because during those last two years, I had been looking back a lot at our dating and going, were we ever really friends? We jumped so fast into dating and then not dating and the drama that is our dating life, which oh, yeah. I won't go into right now. Thank you. Um, <laughs> season five. We've got a whole season. <laughs> um, I just, I was like, you don't know how to be my friend. So we're going to start there. And I know we can get to the other parts because we've, we fell in love before. And if we're both improving, wouldn't we fall in love even better and deeper with a new improved version of ourselves? So why not start at the beginning and say, okay, I need you to learn how to be my friend. And I need to learn how to be a friend to a recovering addict 
because I'd never been a friend. Well, I don't know if I've ever been a friend to one, but I'd never been a friend to a recovering addict, Cameron. Yeah. And so the experience was amazing and it wasn't perfect. It was bumpy. And at one point I was like, okay, I think we could start dating. And within a day I said, okay, I think we need to go back to friends. Yeah. That was we hard. have, we have different definitions of dating and I had not even, it, it hadn't occurred to me that there were different versions of dating to me. Dating was dating. And my version was what was going to happen. And Cameron heard dating. He's like, all right, we're going to be kissing. We're going to be holding hands. And I'm like, we can be in the same room. I'll think about holding hands. You can take me out to dinner. We, yeah, we can We can talk to each other in a more like exclusive setting. Yeah, in a more getting to know each other in a dating sense, as you would a new, a new like, relationship yeah. of a first date. Um because like you said, our first date, I asked you to be my girlfriend on our very first date. Like you said, there really wasn't a lot of getting to know you and or building friendship. upon that or friendship. It, yeah, it was straight into uh, we're now exclusive and our, our motives were on the fast track to marriage. So we knew the attraction would be there. Yes. So we just, I just was like, we have to rebuild. We didn't build a foundation. We kind of stuck a few sticks in the dirt and said, that works. Let's go <laughs> build a house. Um, so for about another year, we went from friends to dating to, I even made him repropose to me and I was wanted to be engaged. I was like, that's an important step. There are different things talked about when you're engaged. Um, that was always fun telling people I'm engaged to my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then we got married again, um, included my whole family. It was so fun. It was awesome. We wrote our own vows. I have them hanging up on my wall. Um, and about the time we were engaged, we started couples counseling. And I mean, I guess that could bring us right into what we are talking about. Yes. Our topic. What a great segue. That was smooth. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, so we started couples counseling. I've mentioned his name a lot on here. He's been on the podcast, Cody Haas. Uh, and, and he was, he was awesome. And there was, I, I would also say things almost got harder though. Once we started couples counseling, because, um, and, and I, I'm just being, I'll just be straight up honest here. Uh, I, I definitely like looking back, I felt like I, I had to give up any thoughts of rights in our relationship. I had to lose all expectations. I, I had to, and, and again, looking back, that was important for me to be able to step into the role of uh, humble, appreciative, caring spouse that had no thought for themselves because all I thought about before in our relationship was thinking of myself, thinking of what I could get out of every situation. And I thought about you a lot too, in, in those first two years. <laughs> yeah. It did. was a, a give, give, your... give to you. And a take, take, take from me. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, Cody taught us this and it was so hard, but he taught us this tool called AVR. And that, that's what I, I did not think that <laughs> when I asked you that question at the beginning of the episode, that it was going to lead to uh an entire episode worth of, but so important for you to break all that down. And, and I'm really glad you did. And we skimmed the surface of all of it. Yeah. So there will be, I know a lot more going back and digging into some of those scenarios and, and times throughout the season, I'm sure. 
Um, but let, let's talk about this. Uh, this AVR is what it was, which stands for acknowledgement, validation, and reassurance. And the the reason this is so hard is because it is a completely selfless um, mindset where you give all attention and um, and understanding. Uh, yes, understanding and effort toward just. I, I guess a phrase that really embodies it is uh, listen to understand, not to respond. And in a lot of guys' cases, and not to fix. I think that's universal, especially after you've been married. I feel like both spouses are like, well, let's fix your problem. And, and I mean, there have been plenty of times where I go, Cameron, I need to tell you something. I don't need you to fix it. Just listen. Or I start talking and venting, he stops me and goes, is this something I need to be fixing or just listening? Yeah. And I still do that. Oh yeah. He did yeah. it the other night. And I was like, <laughs> just listen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I mean, that goes to that point of like, it's so nice to, to just have that clarity. It's like communication is amazing when you just say, okay, before we really get into this, because I'm having some thoughts, do you want me to give you my thoughts? Do you want me to share my opinions on this? Or are you just needing to get this off your chest? And when you're like, I just need to get this off my chest. It's also really nice for me because I'm like, I don't have to try and come up with a solution. They just need a safe space to empty this baggage into. And it stops misunderstandings from happening before they even begin to form in your head. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I don't have to find a solution. They just want to know I'm listening. Yeah. So let's let's go into these three things real quick. Uh, acknowledge. Okay. So another, another really good way to talk about acknowledgement. Um, and, and I actually learned this in my mentor training is reflective listening. Okay. So, um, reflective listening is a, is a way to essentially repeat back to the person what they have said to you to let them know that you have heard them. To me, it's, it's an acknowledgement. I heard what you said yeah. and I'm not reinterpreting it my own way. Right. It's, well, this is what you said, but this is what I heard. It's, I heard what you said. And at the same time, if you do that reflective listening and it, and it was interpreted differently, it gives that person an opportunity to say that, you know, no, that's not actually what I meant. To clarify. Yeah. Let, let, let me say it again so that you understand exactly what I meant. Which is important. You can't resolve a problem if it was misunderstood from the beginning. Correct. All right. So moving on to validation. So validation is uh, the the easiest way that I interpret this is validation is the that sucks statement because and it might sound like a, just a, a little bit archaic or, or generalized, but sometimes, a lot of the times, most people just need to feel like someone else recognizes the fact that what they're going through is hard. And there, there's a lot of times I talk to my best friends and all I want them to say is, dude, that sucks. I'm sorry. And, and that to me tells me that they, they've heard me and that they're feeling for me in whatever I'm going through. So I, I, I typically phrase it as the, that sucks or the, I'm sorry statement. I really see validation as letting the person know that you're not judging them, that mm. what they're saying is real and what they're feeling is true to them. 
doesn't matter if it sounds crazy to everyone else in the world. If that is truly what they're feeling, then it's real to them. And they don't need to wash it away with bland pleasantries or vague promises of something better. Yeah. Validation has this really cool effect of this person who's in a really terrible place emotionally and is really struggling with what they're going through. Then all of a sudden, if you do it well and you do it right, all of a sudden they start to see themselves in in a strength role. They, they see themselves in a, I am doing this. Like I, I am capable of winning and I am capable of overcoming. Um, and then it moves on to, to the last step. So it, it's kind of a, you know, you're recognizing what they went through with acknowledgement. You're almost like building them up with how good of a job they're doing. Like it's the pat on the back. It's the, which also kind of, you know, it meshes in with, with the acknowledgement. And then you get into the reassurance of, uh, it's going to be okay. Um, and, and, and here's why, you know, and so that, that's kind of the, uh, what I, what I describe the reassurance as is the, it's going to be okay. And here's why do you, do you have a different way of looking at reassurance? Um, no, I don't, it, to me, it is really the, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Is the, the top for me. I don't even need a why. I hear a lot of when people are mourning or in grief, what they want most is someone to sit by them. They don't need words. They don't need you to do something. They just need you there. And I think that kind of pulls in what I think reassurance is. I'm here. No matter what you say, I'm here and I will be here. Whether it's to help, if you want me to help you fix something, let me know. If you want me to sit here, let me know. I can hold what you are giving me. Awesome way to put it. Love that. that that's great. So let, let's maybe go through an example of this and how it can actually be uh, put to practical use. Okay. Typically, our deep conversations uh, and, and conversations that require an AVR uh, start something a little bit like this. You doing okay, Katie? You seem a little bit uh you seem a little bit off. I feel like something's wrong. I don't know. <laughs> and that that that's where we need to just allow time to be like, okay, well. Well no, then generally you ask me, yeah. do you need space or do you want to talk about it? Is there something you want to talk about? Probably. <laughs> okay, well, I'm happy to listen. Lately, I I'm feeling like I am falling apart. I feel that I have all these things I'm trying to do and get done. And I feel like I'm juggling and I'm losing all of the balls. They're all falling and I can't pick them up because I'm still juggling the others. And I feel like I'm falling apart. That has to be so hard to feel that sense of loss of control and the inability to function and control everything that's going on with everything that you are working through with, with how hard you're working to provide for your family, to raise your kids, to get them to their sports and activities, to be a good wife, a good mother, a good friend, to fulfill your church callings, all these other balls that you're juggling. I, I see how hard you've been working. I recognize it and and I see the effort that you're putting in. 
And honestly, first of all, I'm pretty in awe of how hard you're working, but not only how hard you're working, but how much you actually are succeeding. I know you feel like you're dropping the ball. I know you feel like you're losing control of all these things, but what I see is that you're winning. You have gained in the past few months some really awesome friends that turn to you, that trust you. You have stepped up in your church calling where you are just killing it. You're coming up with these awesome creative activities and you're making a difference in these in these girls' lives that you're working with. And as far as a, a, a wife and a mother goes, uh, bar none, you are hands down one of the greatest mothers and wives I've ever had the privilege of seeing and being around. I have a pretty great mom and you have a pretty great mom. And I look at you and to me, I'm just, I really am in awe of how much you're doing with your life. And so while, while you're feeling these things, I'm so sorry that you're feeling that way. And I want you to understand and recognize and see what I see, see it through my eyes of how, how awesome you are. And I promise you that as you go through these difficult times and as you're, as you're learning and growing, that this period of growth is going to come to an end. And you're going you're gonna to see you know, that, that moment, that finish line, that standing on the podium of these friendships are established and they're awesome and they're not going anywhere. Things are running smoothly in your church callings. And seeing your value and your worth as a wife and a mother in the home when you know your, your children appreciate you and your husband just dotes all over you constantly because, man, he is obsessed with you. <laughs> so as much as you're struggling with what you're going through, I am, I'm happy to step in where I can, but just know that I think you're doing a great job and I'm really proud of you. So, well, don't I feel better? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what I have, um, what, what really happened there is number one, I, I guess the easiest thing for me to do when, when my wife is in crisis is to point out how awesome she is because I can, I can always see these things. It's not hard for me to look at, at you and recognize all the amazing things that you're doing. And who doesn't love hearing how they're winning in life? Now, maybe you don't believe it fully, but at somewhere deep down, there's going to be that feeling of, yeah, I, I am working really hard at this. I am doing really well in this aspect. And it's not as bad as that negative self-talk is making things seem. The truth will resonate somewhere inside. Yeah. So the acknowledgement that was in there, um, and, and maybe this would be better coming from your perspective. Where did you feel you like, did you feel acknowledged? Did you feel heard? Um, yes. Uh, I, I feel, cause we talk about me and my emotions quite a bit. Um, so I feel like you actually expanded on what I told you because you know me really well. Yeah. And so you were acknowledging past, I feel like I'm dropping balls. You say, I see all the balls you're carrying and you listed them. And uh, 
part of me was like, man, I'm feeling overwhelmed with all these balls you're telling me I'm carrying. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. <laughs> um, but at the same time, what well, a joking aside, it it made me feel heard in a sense of he gets what I'm trying to tell him. Hmm. He didn't have to say the exact words I had told him, but he repeated in his mind what he had heard. And it added depth to not only what I was feeling, which can sometimes be painful, not hurtful, but painful because I'm already going through the pain of dealing with the emotions in the first place, but it allowed it to open up and to be fully more fully validated. And then, then the, uh, so, I mean, you're segueing basically perfectly into the validation. So where was the validation in all of that for you? Uh, the validation I feel like came with when you were telling me what you saw, it, it was, it went to the specifics of, I see how you are excelling at what you're working on. These are, I, not only do I see what you're working on, but this is how I see you succeeding. I see, I see what you're doing well. So I'm going to tell you because maybe you missed that Katie, like you did, you did good. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I do sometimes, because there are times when I just, I see the to-do list and the things not done. And since it isn't Cameron's to-do list, he doesn't see the to-do list. He thinks sees the things that are done. And so stepping in and saying, you've done a lot that you should be proud of that carries weight in this whole miasma of feelings that you're feeling that can counterbalance the weight of feeling that loss of control and yeah. ball dropping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, the, the, the reassurance, um, you know, that essentially that phrase of it's going to be okay. Um, where did you feel like that came in or was there a specific phrase or thing said that gave you reassurance that it was going to be okay? Um, I don't know if you said it exactly, but at, towards the end, uh, I could just hear your voice in my head saying, you're doing a good job. You don't have to improve. You're doing good. Yeah. You don't have to be better. You've got it already. Just because you feel like you're losing it doesn't mean you are. You have a pretty good handle on things. And I know the, quite a few of those things I just said you didn't actually say, but at that point in the conversation, not only was his reassurance there, but his acknowledgement and his validation had kick-started back in me those natural divine feelings of worth of saying, why are you feeling this, Katie? You do have this. And so that truth then started resonating as he continued to speak and give that reassurance of you've got this. I, I feel like sometimes when I am um, using AVR on in a conversation that we're having, it's, it's actually, it's less of me trying to make you feel better. And it's more me in battle against the negative self-talk demons inside your head. Because... I see, like you said, I see these amazing things that you're doing. I see the efforts paying off and I see the results and I, the, the fruits of your labors are amazing. And what I'm recognizing is someone in your head 
spike, Satan, you know, what that, that negative self-talk is telling you that you're not doing a good job, that you're not doing enough, that your efforts are pointless, that you're not making a difference, that your friends don't actually care. Somewhere in your head, these lies are being told to you. And it's my job as a protector, a defender, as a, a warrior of truth to step up and to say the opposite and to, to, to point, to give the light. I mean, you I talk, say it's not even the opposite it's yeah, so much it's as light. it's the light. You were talking earlier about being lost in, in the forest and um, needing that, needing that direction, that light to guide you, giving you, giving you that sense of purpose and direction. And I feel like that's what AVR is. It is pointing out, it is putting a light in the darkness because there's so much uncertainty around all the things that we're doing. We can really get lost in, um, in that negative self-talk and in believing that we're not good, that we're not, you know, not doing a, not doing a very good job in any aspect of our lives. And that's false. Those of you that are listening, I want you to know that you are doing a good job. You are, you're crushing it. You're amazing. Uh, the fact that you are still in this fight, the fact that you still care, the fact that you are trying. Uh, I, I, I love that word trying um, because it has nothing to do with success or failure. It has everything to do with where your heart is and where your efforts are. And if there is trying, there there is only success, even amidst the failures. Um, so, and that's what I believe God cares most about is the fact that we are trying. That was a pretty good AVR. Yes, it was. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> so, um, the, I guess the the last thing that I just want to say on this AVR stuff is, it can come off a little bit as, uh, I guess patronizing or even manipulation. Like I'm going to use this technique to make you feel better. And so I brought this up to Cody. I remember bringing this up to him in a, in a private one-on-one -on -one session and feeling like, I feel like I'm just using this manipulation tactic on my wife and then I'm being fake. And he was like, well, to a degree you are being fake because this isn't who you are. You've never acknowledged your wife's feelings before. You've never recognized where she was coming from. You've never been able to fully understand her pain and sit in the emotions that she is dealing with. So to a degree, yes, you're being fake, Cameron. He's like, and what I will tell you is fake it till you make it. Continue to use this technique because even though it's going to come off a little bit forced at first, what it's going to do in the long run is you will naturally start to recognize the difficulties that your spouse is going through. And you won't make it about you. You won't spiral out of control. You won't just turn to inner self-shame and think like, oh, I've done something wrong. Woe is me. I caused this. Yeah. But, but more, you then run to the defense of your amazing spouse and you be with them where they need you to be. And so I, I feel like that is effective use of ABR. So you can always look at it as a way of gaining empathy for others yeah. because you truly have to step outside yourself and feel for that person. So anyway, so that's that's our little discussion on on AVR. If you have any questions um, or scenarios that you want to throw our way, if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can do so at RecoverU2. Uh, that's RecoverU and then the number two at gmail.com. 
and we would be happy to have any conversations with you, answer any emails. Um, but we are looking forward to an awesome season. Uh, Katie has been forced to, I mean, has agreed to, <laughs> to, <Same thing. laughs> to uh, go through the season with me. And we hope that that brings a lot of uh, awesome insights and uh, amazing, uh, an amazing period of growth to each of your lives. So we love each of you. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you next week on Recovering You. Bye. If you liked what you heard today, please don't forget to take just a few seconds to rate us and share this episode with someone you think it may benefit. If you have any questions for Katie or myself, feel free to reach out to us at recoveryu2 at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. And we look forward to having you back next week.